We are getting back into our study now, Romans 14. We'll be in Romans 14, verses 13 through 19. Then we will conclude Romans 14 next Sunday. Um, And so I hope you are blessed this morning. And uh, hopefully through uh, some of my review and intro, we are reminded of what we've been journeying through here in Romans chapter 14. One of the things that uh, I want us to process this morning is, um, who are the people that we really care about? Like personally, who are the people that we really care about? Not generally, but specifically. You know, have those names come to mind. Who are people that you really care about? Then how do you show that you care about them? How do you show that you love them? How do you show that you are their friend or their uh, whatever it may be as far as it could be a cousin or a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad? Um, How do they know that you really care about them? What are are some of the things that you do? What are some of the things that um, are part of your interactions with them? And to what extent do you care about them? To what extent do you truly love them? Uh, Recently, I was going through uh, an area in my closet where I just kind of would pile stuff and and I had to kind of get through it and like, okay, I need to get rid of some of these things or um, do something with them. And I found an old pile of pictures um, and it had some of my old military photos in there um, and it reminded me of a lot of my season when I was in the military. One of the things that we would do uh, in the military was, especially when we had inspections, um, we had certain ceremonies that we were a part of, so on and so forth, and we would be in our, we'd call them Class A's, uh, our dress uniform for the U.S. Army, and uh, we, would, we would get it all ready as best that we possibly could, and we have it laid out, and we do everything we can to make sure it's perfect, our ribbons, our medals, all the different things that we would have on it, um, and make sure it was uh, as best as it possibly could be. Um, pretty much if it's not perfect, then it, it needs to be improved upon. So then we would put it on, and then what we would do is we would, you know, one of our, one of our friends, um, you know, someone that was part of our, our squad or unit or whatever it may be, um, we would come and we like, okay, we'd face each other, and then we was like, okay, let's, let's see how well your uniform is. And so then I would go and I'd stand before someone, and they would look and they would just, you know, your ribbon's off, this is off, and then they would start correcting my ribbon, or they'd start, okay, you have a little string here, and they'd clip that off, or this is crooked here, and, or you have a piece of lint, and they would pluck that off, and they would do that, and just from head to toe, front to back. And they would just go through and just, okay? Because if they said, oh, you look great, you're awesome, and I had something wrong, then I would go before my commanding officer for this ceremony or inspection or whatever it be, I would get in trouble. I would get in trouble. So then I, I would do the same. So they would correct me and fix me up and make sure this or that, or I needed to take my jacket off and fix something and or you know same thing to them I was like okay let's do this is my job I cared enough about them to make sure that they were going to be as perfect as they possibly could be when they'd come before the commanding officer 
a lot of times in our relationships, we don't see that this type of love is love at all. A lot of times we believe, we think, we see, our opinion is, we don't correct anybody. We just let them go a mess when they go stand before their commanding officer. Do we really care about those people? Do we really care about those that we say that we love, that are dear to us, that we hold true to? Do we really care about those that uh, we, we would do anything for, quote, unquote, but we are unwilling to help them be their best, to be presentable? How do you love others? Do you love them enough to say the difficult things? Do you love them enough to point them in the right direction? Do you love them enough to be there for them in any and all situations and circumstances? It's one of the things that we are going to look at, and, we're, and Paul continues to take us through this element of judgment, of non-essential things, as we continue to look at the Jews and Gentiles and the differences that they had and the things that they were disagreeing on. And it talks about the stronger Christian and the weaker Christian. It talks about those who are stronger in faith, right, and have the liberties and see and understand the scriptures for what they are than those that are weaker and they abstain from certain things or they don't do certain things or they don't understand the scriptures in full. And it says how we are to interact and how we are to to judge and not judge one another and how we are to live at peace and in harmony and in love of one another. And Paul continues to take us down this path as he explains very clearly, because this was obviously a big issue that was going on in the churches in Rome between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it was something that I think that we see even today and is very relevant for the church today. Before I go any further, let me pray, and then we'll get into our text this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Be with us during this time. May you continue to speak into our lives, into our hearts and minds, Lord God, through your word and this message. And may this message be of you and no one else. May we humble ourselves before you with a desire to want to love and obey you and your word. So, Lord, thank you for all that we have, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now he brings us to our text this morning in Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 19. I'm going to read that now. You can follow along if you are able to. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And so here Paul starts us off very clearly with something that I think uh, as Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, this is something that you've possibly heard before or heard in some snippet or another, maybe not in the whole context. But let's dive in and let's really begin to unpack this further with the understanding of what we've gone through already about Paul uh, teaching us about the weaker person and about the stronger person speaking of Christians and their faith and how we are to interact and how we are to treat each other and how we are to interact with one another and how we are to ultimately worship God and serve God alongside of one another. So now in verse 13, it was time for the believers in Rome to stop criticizing one another. Now, I must, uh, we must understand that the context of this is the non-essential items, I will elaborate a little bit more on this later, but we must have that in the forefront of our minds. These are non-essential items, okay? Um, Worshiping God on a certain day, abstaining from certain foods. It's like those that abstain from eating certain foods are weaker Christians. Those that uh, said, well, uh, we we should really keep the Sabbath day holy, which is Saturday, so I'm going to worship God on Saturday, not Sunday, Weaker Christians. And so those that are weaker, that abstain from certain things, are not to look upon those that are stronger who worship God on Sunday or don't abstain from eating certain things as they're sinning. That's not true because the Scripture tells us here, Paul explains to us that they're actually stronger in faith. So they're not to look upon them as sinners And in the same way, those that are stronger in faith that don't abstain and worship God on Sunday because that is the day that we celebrate, right, and worship God who has the resurrected Christ. So because of that, we don't look down on the weaker Christian because they don't quite see that yet. These converted Jews need to continue to be brought along, not looked down upon. And so Paul has continued to explain this throughout this chapter, and we get into a more detailed section here. And it goes even deeper than what we're going to look at today, but that's going to be our our next message next Sunday. So instead of sitting in judgment on our fellow Christians in these matters of moral indifferences, we should resolve that we will never do anything to hinder a brother or sister in their spiritual growth. Okay? Now, this does not mean if, so, if a brother or sister is living in sin, we don't go tell them, okay? We're going to look at that later. It's going to be my closing passage in Matthew. We'll look at that and write judgment on how to judge and not to judge our fellow believers. But understanding this, this is non-essential items, okay? Why do you wear jeans to church? You should be wearing a suit. You should be wearing a dress, I don't think it's necessary. That's a non-essential item. Now, I would go as far as, yes, please do not wear your pajamas to church. 
Honestly, if I see you out in public wearing pajamas, I judge you. I will admit that now. My children are not allowed to wear pajamas outside of the house. It's not acceptable in my home for my family and how I raise my children. They don't do it. Pajamas are for what? Sleeping. Not for going to the store. So I know a lot of college students, but they're comfortable. I understand. There's a lot of other clothes out there that are comfortable as well. Okay? Non-essential item. If you choose to go to the store in your pajamas, you're not living in sin. Okay? This is Pastor Rapp's uh, opinion, so to speak, and how I choose to raise my kids and, 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 and uh, pastor my family. Okay? But is that something to wear if you come to church in pajamas? I'm going to say you can't come to church. No. It's a non-essential item. Same reason why when I was going to a church and there was a brother, and I won't mention his name, you, none of you would know him anyways, um, he, was very, he was very strict on a lot of these things. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to start going to church in sandals. And he's like, Pastor Raph, why are you wearing sandals? He's like, well, I'm trying to be like Jesus. He wore sandals. You see, it's a non-essential item. These are the things that we need to understand. This is what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about how we live our lives according to Scripture as far as when it comes to sin. Okay? Well, I don't need to go to church to worship God. I can do it at home. That's a sinful thing. We're commanded to to congregate, to come together corporately. It's in Scripture. It's taught by God. This is an essential item. We, We need to come together. Why? How else is the body of Christ going to function and live together like it's supposed to as one unit. So we must understand these things are not essentials. So then Paul gets into this thing as being a stumbling block where we cause our brother and sister to sin over a non-essential thing. And Paul's going to get into this. And this is an area where some of us need to really take to heart, right? Because of what? The choices that we make and others see us making causes them to sin. And a lot of us that are doing things that might be okay, but the perception for weaker believers causes them to sin is something that we're not realizing and something that we probably need to be in repentance of. We are not to place a stumbling block in the path of the weaker believer. None of these non-essential issues are worth are worth it to cause our brother or sister in Christ to stumble, even if Scripture permits it. So if Scripture permits you to do something, but there's a weaker Christian that struggles with this topic or this area, and it's like, oh, wait, look at what they're doing. Well, that means I can go do this, too. It causes them to sin. One ex- I'm going to give multiple examples. I'm going to give one here, and then I'll give another one later. But we have to understand that, yes, maybe Scripture permits you to have alcohol, but you are not to what? To get drunk. Okay? So then Christians, like, oh, well, I can have a glass of wine, or I can, that's perfectly fine. But if we do it around and there's a weaker Christians around and they see it's like, oh, wow, look, Pastor Raph is drinking. I can drink. 
and they're a weaker Christian and they struggle with alcohol, I just cause that believer to sin. This is one of many, many examples. Let me, let me, let me, let me make it far more personable. Let me make it a little bit more uh, pointed, so to speak, for our, for our younger our younger group here. Maybe you don't struggle with being in the presence of someone of the opposite sex. And you can hang out, you can do things, and it's not a struggle. There's not a longing there of physical attraction. And you can just be friends. And you can be in a room together and be fine. You can hang out together and be fine. You can go do things and be fine and not have any, what? Any struggle. But what happens when a younger believer, someone weaker in faith, looks upon that? Oh, wow, look what they're doing. I can do that. We've just caused them to sin. Just because you're, it's okay for you to do something, just because you're not sinning, we have to understand how we make decisions, how we make choices as Christians, how that impacts those of weaker faith. Are we causing others to stumble? Are we causing others to fall into sin because of our selfishness? Ah, Paul talks about that. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So he's saying you have the right to do a lot of these things. But should you? For if anyone sees you who have what? who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wandering their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Wow. So if you cause someone to stumble, you're sinning. You're sinning. It's, it's clear. It's, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. If there's, and the context here is, yes, all food's clean. We're going to get to that later and, 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 uh, and see that in the scripture very clearly. But if someone sacrifices food to an idol, okay, it's saying don't eat it. Not because it's unclean to us, okay, because it's unclean to the other people because then they see it's like, oh, wow, they're eating this sacrifice that was made to a false idol, a false god, therefore recognizing or uh, signing off on that sacrifice, even though to the Christian, it's nothing. I don't believe in that. It might be okay for you to eat it, but you're not going to eat it for the sake of your brother or sister or even unbelievers, so then you don't cause them to sin. 
Here it says, you destroyed them. You destroyed them. Well, Paul goes deeper. I mean, honestly, I could sit here and just preach on verse 13 and be done for the day. But let's continue on. Let's get to verse 14 and back in Romans chapter 14. I know and I am I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Paul himself was fully convinced that nothing was unclean. And we'll get to that later. To Timothy, he said in 1 Timothy 4.4, everything is good and receive it with thanksgiving. That's paraphrased Pastor Raph. The issue with certain ceremonial foods were no longer applied. Explaining what we just looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We must remember that it is not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that makes a person unclean. I preached on this a few weeks ago. Um, I'm, I'm not going to reference the passage here. I mean, maybe that's a little homework for you to figure out where that came from. This truth was not the product of Paul's own thinking or the teaching of others, but of divine revelation. Turn me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We're going over this quicker here in this verse because I don't think too many of us struggle with what the Jews struggled with during this time on clean and unclean foods. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay? So we see this vision that God gave to Peter, and Jesus spoke to him, saying, look, it's clean. Worry about it. Okay? We need to understand these things. Why? Because a ministry had to begin to take place to the Gentiles. Okay? The gospel was opening up. There's an understanding there of what must take place. So we see that, look, go, eat. Don't worry about these things anymore, okay? But they still struggled. They still struggled. This is one of the reasons, and and this can be another piece of homework for you as well. This is one of the reasons why Paul rebuked Peter. Paul rebuked Peter to his face in front of his friends because he was violating Scripture 
and the commands of God. Paul went right up to him and confronted him. It's like, hey, why are you, why are you doing this? This is sinful. This is not what God said. He confronted him. There are some things that we need to understand when it comes to non-essential and essential items, primary and secondary issues, and there are some things that we need to continue to process as believers and how we live out our lives and the impact that we have on those of weaker faith. Let's move on to verses 15 and 16. Verse 15, Romans 14. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So it's saying here, if we don't consider our weaker brothers and sisters in the actions that we have, and it's causing them to stumble, we don't love them. So God's saying we're sinning, and he's saying we don't love the weaker brother or sister because our actions are what? Are hurting them spiritually. Do we care about that? Do we care about the actions and decisions that we make, even though we may have freedom to do this because we're not sinning, but what is the perception that that decision has on the weaker Christian? Now, don't get me wrong. I want to put a little disclaimer out here. You know, we, it's difficult for us to know what someone struggles with, okay? But as you usually say, when in doubt, throw it out. Oh, someone may struggle with that, or I think so. Okay, well, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But one of the things we do need to do is if we are a weaker Christian and we struggle with certain things, this is what being part of a family is and trusting one another where we go, hey, I really struggle with this. Can you not, can you not do that in front of me, please? And what does our response need to be? Absolutely. Please forgive me. I didn't know. Not, well, I don't struggle with that. That's not my problem. It's like the sin and, and lack of love in that. For if I sit down to eat a meal with a weak brother who believes it is a sin, right, or it's unclean to eat pork, right, should I eat pork anyways? Because I know it's okay. Now, trust me, I love bacon, pork belly, okay? My oldest daughter, when she was younger, um, I don't know what friend it was, but she came home. She's like, I'm going to be a vegetarian. And I go, I know how to counter this. All right, that means you can no longer eat bacon. And her face was, I don't want you to be a vegetarian, Daddy. I was like, good. But see, we must understand if someone, right? Now, this is, this is not, well, I don't like pork, so you don't eat pork in front of me. Or I'm a vegetarian because I want to be healthy, Right? So I'm going to eat pork in front of you. I'm going to eat my pork belly. I'm going to have my bacon. This has to do with things unto God. I don't eat pork because it's unclean, and God says 
It's not clean. Weaker Christian. I'm not going to eat pork because it upsets my stomach. Weak stomach. Okay? There's a difference. Right? But we must understand this is spiritual matters. Right? The context of this is spiritual matters. But we need to contextualize it. We need to bring it into something to where it's like, okay, how is this reflective in my culture today, in my life today, in my walk today? Wow, you know what? I have a lot of, I'm a female and I have a lot of guy friends, and I'm just kind of one of the guys, I, you know, and there's no physical this or that, or there's no sin, or there's no this, and that's fine. But how am I impacting my, my sister who's weaker in faith? We need to be considerate of those things, okay? This is how we contextualize it. This is how we, like, oh, we make it relevant. The scripture is relevant, very relevant to us today. So no, for I, I, I do not, I, I am not acting in love if I eat in front of somebody something that they are trying to abstain from because of a, a spiritual decision that they've made, right? Okay? I don't need to like, well, God said this, and uh, that's not the time for that, okay? Thing is, is that if I do that, I'm not acting in love because love thinks of others, not only of self. Love forgoes its legitimate rights in order, what, to promote the welfare of a brother or sister in Christ, okay? That's sacrificial love. That's sacrificial love. You know what? I'm not going to do that because I care more about that person than I do about my right to be able to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that. Okay? Now, this just means you can't do it at all. It just means like, okay, I'm not going to do this in public. Or I'm going to do this, you know, only when I'm by myself or only with my family or whatever. As long as we're not sinning, we're not violating God's law, God's commands, right? Okay? Or we can say, you know what? I'm going to abstain from this during this season of life. We have to understand these things are not more important than the spiritual well-being of those who Christ has died for. We must be careful to not generalize this principle or this teaching, right? For Paul is not saying that sin is a matter of personal opinion or feeling, okay? If someone says, oh, you know what? I don't feel that you should do that. Can you show me in Scripture? Oh, uh, that, that doesn't make me feel good when you do that. Well, what do you mean? Let's talk about that further doesn't mean it's a sin. Things that are sinful, we see clear in Scripture. That's why it's so important that we're in God's Word. It's so important that we use God's Word and not, well, I don't feel, I don't think. Dr. Phil told me. None of that matters. We're not going to stand before God, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, about the Bema saying, we're not going to stand before God and said. Well, Lord, I didn't feel as if, feel as if, 
Nowhere in Scripture are we directed or taught that. It's like, look, I, I've given you the book. I've given you the word. It's, it's, it's that simple. This isn't based on how you want to interpret it. This isn't based on your opinion. This isn't based on your emotion. This isn't based on your circumstance. This is based on what I've directed and commanded you to do and how to live your life in worship of me. And see, when we come and we stand before God and we have his word and his word is what directs us and encourages us and shows us how to love and shows us how to live our lives with believers and unbelievers. It's simple. We mix it up. We confuse it. We make it harder. Why? Because all this is ultimately for who? For God. It's for the Lord. So the principles here is that we should not allow these secondary things, which are perfectly permissible uh, in themselves, which are, uh, that gives us occasion to others to condemn our liberties. The thing is, is, look, we have a lot of liberties as Christians. We have a lot of freedom. But a lot of times, those liberties and freedom are the very thing that get us in trouble. Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Okay? It's not about your opinion, your emotion, your feeling. It's not about that. Okay? Verse 30. If I partake, <clears throat> if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? <coughs> So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. So we see here very clearly that a lot of us take this passage out of context, right? Because we love to quote the first part. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 
okay? Oh, all things are good. So I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go do this, right? I'm going to go do that. It's helpful to me. That's good. I like it. It's for me. I'll do it privately. I'll get drunk privately. I'll go smoke marijuana privately. I'll go do this. I'll go do that. I'll do, and as long as I do it privately, it's fine. I won't affect anybody else. But we don't realize this. Just because they're lawful doesn't mean they're beneficial. Doesn't mean they build up. Doesn't mean that it's okay for you to do such things. Why? Because it's still, we are subject to God's law, God's commands, his word. But the context of this is what? When it comes to eating clean and unclean things. It's very simple. We abstain. We abstain. Why? Because it's beneficial for them so they don't have a bad conscience about it. They don't think that it's okay to um, sacrifice to false gods, false idols, right? And it says it's not necessarily for you. It's for them. But ultimately, we must understand and see what the purpose of this is. It's for their sake, their spiritual, right, either salvation or maturity, okay, and also for ours. Why? So they were not causing someone else to fall into sin, Let's move on. Verse 17, back in Romans. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is very important for us to understand this, that what really counts in the kingdom of God is not dietary regulations, okay? That's not, that's not what's important. What's important is spiritual realities. What's important is the spiritual growth, the spiritual journey. This is what's important because a lot of times our decisions, what we make, impact others, causes them to sin, that it hurts them spiritually. Some of our attitudes is like, well, if what I wear causes you to sin, that's not my problem. Oh, did I? Am I getting into a, a sensitive topic? What we wear can cause other people to sin. One of the things that we need to understand, especially if uh, when it gets into the summertime, we need to be careful what we wear, ladies. We must be conservative. We must understand what the scriptures say, and they talk about this. Well, I look cute, and I'm not this. It don't matter what you think. It's matter what you're doing. There's actually been surveys taken to where a lot of the, the, the young men from high school to uh, age of, like, I think it was 27 or 28, they said one of the hardest places for them to go is church on Sunday because the young ladies don't know how to dress properly. This is hard. We must be careful on how we approach such things. Why? Because it's about kingdom things. It's not about earthly things. It's not about how we look. It's not about our status. It's not about what we are allowed to do and what we, the liberties and freedoms that we have. Those are all great, 
But if we do them in such a way that causes others to stumble, it's like, okay, are those really more important than kingdom things? Are they more important than kingdom things? The spirit is more important than the flesh. The things in heaven are more important than things here on earth. What do you hold true? What do you value? How do you love others? What matters is the salvation and righteousness of the body of Christ. And they are characterized by their lives dedicated to God and a disposition of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, that peace and joy and love. Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. What are those? Fruits of the Spirit. I want to keep the peace. I want to love my brother and sister in this way. I want there to be joy. So then I'm going to sacrifice not eating this, not drinking that, not making this decision, not wearing this, not doing that. Why? Because I value, I love my fellow brother and sister in Christ. I love, I value, I care about the lost and their salvation. I'm not going to cause them to stumble. Turn me to Galatians 5. These are all what? Fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Wow. So it should be a desire within us already want to do these things. Why? Because we love God. Why? Because we love others. How do you love? How do you love? It says here very clearly, and those who belong to Christ. So there's, a, there's, there's, there's a, uh, an assumption here. Right? What's the assumption? That those who belong to Christ, those who are Christians, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My desire to do this, even though it's permissible, causes my brother or sister to sin, then I should not do that. That's love. That's sacrificial love. But if I choose, like, well, that's their problem. They need to work that out with God. Not only is that not loving, but you're now living in sin. Do we truly have, do we truly embrace, do we truly understand what it means to live out the fruits of the Spirit? Let's move on to our last two verses, verses 18 and 19. 
Whoever thus serves Christ is, ex- is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes, what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Okay? It isn't what a man eats or doesn't eat that really matters. Okay? It's a holy life that wins God's honor and man's approval, we should be putting the, the emphasis on righteousness, on peace, on joy, on love, serving Christ by obeying his teachings. Instead of bickering over non-essentials, we should be making every effort to maintain peace and harmony in the Christian fellowship. <coughs> A lot of times... Well, not a lot of times. I would say the majority of the time, we do not like to be corrected. We do not like to be told that we are wrong. We do not like to be um, uh, suggested that we should or shouldn't do something. We don't like it. We don't. Why? Because we are selfish people. We're selfish. We want what we want. What does the scripture say? That we are right in our own mind, in our own eye. And so when anyone from the outside comes and says anything to us, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And I'm right there with you. What the scriptures tell us is we need. it's much bigger than that. It's much bigger than us not being able to do something. It's much bigger uh, than us making better decisions. It's much bigger than what our liberties and freedoms are in a lot of these areas. Why? Because we need to have an understanding. We need to have the mindset that what my choices, my decisions, my actions, and how they are impacting others. How they are impacting others because we could be causing others to fall in to sin. Again, this is coming especially with the non-essentials with things, and that's why I think a lot of times we, we don't think much of them, and we have the liberties to do what we want to do. And, um, and, I, and I'd say, you know, a lot of it is fine, but there, there's a consideration that we need to have an understanding with the Scriptures that we see here as Paul continues to explain and outline for us. We are not to destroy what God is doing by insisting on our right to eat what we want or any other non-essential issue. Instead of causing others to stumble by insisting on our rights, we should strive to build up others in the faith. Turn me to John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for 
one another. This is Jesus' teaching. They say, hey, I'm an example. But we must take how Jesus loved entirely. If someone was in sin, he called him on their sin. And guess what? Guess who he was the hardest on? Believers, Christians. He was the hardest on those who were religious. He was the hardest on them. Why? Because they know better. We have to understand this is the same Jesus who called Peter Satan. He rebuked him in front of everybody because it was necessary, it was needed. This is the same Jesus when Peter tried to walk on water and then he sank. And was, what is his response to them? Why do you have such little faith? He's like, Peter, you did so well. You took three steps on the water. Wow. You know what? Maybe four next time. You're so great. No. Picks him up, throws him in the boat. What's wrong with you, Peter? Why do you have such little faith? Our understanding of love is so worldly, we need to really change. We need to have what the scripture calls a transforming and renewal of the mind to be more like Christ, to be more like the scriptures, to be more like God, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and interpret and counsel and rebuke us from within so that we can understand how to truly love one another. Because when we love the way the world loves, I bet you when it really comes to it, the sacrifice is not going to be there. Scripture tells us that. It's a rare thing for a friend even to give up his life for a friend, let alone a stranger give their life for a stranger. How do you love? How do you see the Scriptures? How do you see Christ loving others? far more than just the warm and fuzzies of the world. Do we truly understand how we are called to love one another? Turn me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to close with this. One of the, I'd say one of the top 10 taken out of context passages in scripture. Judge not. We love to stop there. We love to use that and throw that around, especially when we're being defensive or someone's trying to confront us in our sin. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First... Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's 
I. Now, what we must understand, the teaching here is not, the teaching is not to not judge. The teaching here is how to judge. How to judge. Okay? A lot of times we look at this and we think, it's like, okay, we're not to judge. Don't judge anybody. Don't judge me, bro. Okay? However you want to interpret that. But the thing is, is this, Jesus is saying, look, before we go and judge others, make sure we were right with God. Doesn't mean you're necessarily perfect, okay? But make sure that we are in a right relationship with God. That's why we do communion every month to reflect, repent, right? Reconciliation, restoration. This is all reasons why we do such things. But saying, look, don't be living in sin and start pointing out other people's sin. And a lot of times we do that as a distraction from our own sin. This doesn't mean you have to be sinless before you can go, right, and approach a brother or sister in Christ in love. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is, Am I dealing with my sin? Am I recognizing my sin? Am I spending time with God? Am I praying? Am I repenting? Am I right with God? Because guess what? What we need to do more of is just what I said in the beginning of my message, where we get, we're all ready to go, and we stand in front of someone else, and it's like, okay, let me have it. Because I'm about to go stand before God, and I don't want to be a mess. Some of us, we, we're a mess, and we don't care. Next thing you know, you're standing before God, and you're like, wow, I'm before God, and I'm a mess. What can I do? You can't do nothing. And what we need to be more worried about is how are we living our lives in accordance to God's word so that we're not causing others to stumble, others to sin, and that we're okay with, hey, I got some specs here. Can you come help me deal with them? hey, you know what, I think I'm good. Uh, let me stand before you. Can, can you. can you look into my life? It's like, hey, you got something back here. And it's something you've never seen before. And you need a brother or sister to, to be able to, to get that for you, to help show you, to reveal it to you. It's like if you go use the restroom and then you come out and you go, and an hour and a half later, Someone says, hey, you got toilet paper hanging out of your pants? And you look to the person you've been walking with for the past hour and a half. It's like, how come you didn't tell me? He's like, oh, I didn't want to embarrass you. Embarrass me? I've been walking with toilet paper hanging out of my pants for an hour and a half. We're so afraid to what? To get into each other's lives because a lot of times it's because of this. We have our own sins that we don't want to deal with. So this login spec, it's twofold. It causes you to deal with your sin, and it causes you to be willing enough, to be loving enough to help others with theirs. Because it says remove the log before you go and remove the spec. It doesn't say don't judge. It says before you go and help them with their sin, make sure you're right. Don't take this passage out of context. This is a direct teaching from Christ. And the thing is, we need to be able, be willing, be loving enough 
to stand before one another and say, can you help me? Something's off. Or you know what? Hey, I think I'm doing good. What do you think? Man, you should look over there. You got something in the back over here. You got some mustard on your face. You know what? You're doing, you're doing pretty good. Keep going. Hey, how did you handle this? Hey, I have a hard time being in the Word every day. How do you do that? This is how we are to live. Why? Because this spurs each other on. It helps one another. So how much do you love those that you care about? How much? Do you truly care about them? Do you truly love them? Well, Pastor Raph, they're not a Christian, so I can't. Great. When's the last time you shared the gospel with them? When's the last time you, your life decisions and actions pointed them to Jesus? So as we look into the scriptures and we see, and Paul is teaching us on all these things, on the weaker and stronger Christians, and the decisions that we make, there's just so much there that we need to be very careful in not causing others to stumble. But if anything, we need to be willing and able to love each other enough to say, hey, you got a speck here. Hey, you have a speck there. Not because this lifts me up. It's because I care that much about you and it's going to lift you up. Why? Because it's about kingdom things. It's not about earthly things. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us in our time together this morning. May we truly see your word as truth inerrant, and the authority in each and every one of our lives. Lord, may we continue to wrestle with your word because there's a lot of things in your word that are, that are hard, that are hard to deal with, that are hard to apply, and, and you know this. So help us. Help us embrace them and apply them and help us be one who truly cares and loves one another. May we not be a stumbling block to others, May we be an, encourage, an encouragement to those of weaker faith. May we not look down upon them. And if we are of weaker faith, may we allow those of stronger faith to speak into our lives and to help us and to strengthen us and to draw us closer to your son, Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.